0: Good morning, everyone. We are going to look together this morning at a prayer of God's people. It is found in Isaiah 64. Uh, So I'm going to read that for us now. You can follow along uh, in the order of Worship where it's printed, or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read uh, from Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood, And the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not your iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would help us to enter into this prayer that your people prayed, this prayer that is ancient, but that feels like we could pray it, a lot of us in the situations we find ourselves in right now. Father, use this word that we have read and heard together to lead us to the word that became flesh and lived with us, who is now ascended in glory and at your right hand, praying for us. Show us Jesus' grace and change us by it, and we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, as we uh, have said and sung and prayed and seen already this morning, this is the first week of Advent 2017. And I think that if you had to reduce the tone and the feeling of Advent down to one word, um, at least from our perspective, that word would be waiting. We are waiting for God. And I think that's true for every one of us in here, um, no matter who we are, and even if we don't understand exactly what those words even mean about waiting. We are waiting for God. So I don't know, uh, where this first week of Advent finds all of you. I don't know what it is that you are waiting for. Some of us here this morning are simply, uh, just trying to get by. We're waiting to get through this season of life. We've got our heads down and we're just grinding it out. Some of us here this morning are trying to find work or we're trying to figure out what kind of work we should be trying to find. Some of us have school projects still hanging over us that seem unending. Work projects hanging over our heads that seem impossible and daunting. We're just waiting to get those things finished. Some of us here this morning have lost people who are near to us. And it makes us feel lost. And we're waiting to feel found again. Waiting to feel home. Some of us here this morning are dealing with pain or sickness or disease in our own lives or in the lives of someone that we love. And we're just waiting for good news from the doctor. Some of us are in a really difficult relationship, or we're still getting over one that's ended. Like Pastor Dan mentioned last week, some of us are anxious about going through another holiday season alone. Or just another holiday season period and we we're just waiting for it to be over. Some of us have really difficult decisions in front of us about the care of our parents. Some of us see a child slipping away. Some of us feel near to God and we're what we're waiting for is to see what he has for us next the others of us, feel far from God and we wonder why are we numb to his love and we are just waiting for something, anything to break. Some of us are anxious about the future that's in front of us. Others of us are anxiously trying to twist everything into the future that we desperately want. Some of us are feeling faithful and others of us are feeling faithless. We're all over the place in our waiting. It's as varied as every single one of us who are sitting here this morning. But there is one thing that binds us together, and that is that we are people who wait. We are waiting. And what I want us to hear this morning together is that Isaiah has a very, very good word for people like us. One of the things that makes our God like no other God, one of the things that is central to who he is, central to his being, is that he comes to his waiting people to save them and to deliver them, and he does it in ways that we could never, ever expect. Maybe you heard that when I was reading that prayer of God's people. You did awesome things that we did not look for. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God like you who acts for those who wait for him. Isaiah is saying that God delivers us in very unexpected ways. We could never dream up how he delivered his people. We could never dream up how he will deliver us. Never in a million years. And I think that that unexpectedness, that suddenness of God's deliverance fuels something that we desperately need, that you and I desperately need in whatever waiting we are doing. And that thing is hope. Hope. So in order to understand this prayer that Isaiah prays on behalf of the people, it'll be good for us to remember the world into which it is being prayed. Isaiah takes on the communal voice of a people who had come back from long, hard years in exile so you might think well wow these these prayers should be filled with joy these prayers should be filled with happiness and celebration i mean what could be better than being freed and sent home but it's not the case at all and it's not too hard to figure out why that's what verses 10 and 11 are, of this prayer are really all about Yes, God's people had come home, but what did they find when they got there? They found their cities and their towns in shambles. Their national treasures had been looted and destroyed, so they came home to lots of rubble and lots of ruin The crown jewel of their common life together had been completely razed to the ground. The temple had been destroyed. In their own words, this is what they say, our holy and beautiful house where our fathers worshipped you has been burned by the fire. And all of our pleasant places have become ruins. Yeah, they, they had come back to their land But it was a land that was no longer theirs. It was a subdivision of a subdivision of the Persian Empire. They didn't have their own king. And the king that they did have, this foreign king, his deepest concern for them, his deepest concern over them was that they pay the tribute money on time. They were home, but they felt like strangers in their home. Other people were farming the land that was once theirs, walking on the streets that were once their streets. They were home, but they were painfully aware that they were fewer in number than when they had left. So they're home, but they are not whole. They are not whole. They were broken, fallen people living in a world that was not yet as it should be, and now what they're doing is waiting. And if any, if any little part of that sounds familiar, then welcome to Advent. Welcome to real life as you and I live it every day. And it's into this moment, it is into this shared, common experience, it is into this way of being that Isaiah takes on the voice of God's people and he begins to pray, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Don't just see us, God. Don't just look at us, God. Come down here forcibly and cataclysmically and definitively. Come down to your waiting people, God. And I know that it might not sound like this at first, but if there is one thing that I want us to hear this morning, one thing (laughs) is that this is the unmistakable posture of hope. (laughs) This prayer is a prayer of hope. God, I I wish that you would tear the heavens open and get down here because you know how it would be, God, if you did it. The mountains would quake at your presence. It would be like a roaring fire that clears away all of the brushwood. It makes things boil. Then, then, God, your adversaries would know what time it is. They would tremble at your presence. What I want us to understand is that this prayer is not a prayer of cynicism. This prayer is not a prayer of despair. This prayer is not a prayer of fear. This prayer is not a prayer of anger. This is the posture of hope. It is a prayer of hope. And you know, we we have a ready analogy for these kind of words. This is the kind of thing that little kids say. When they've reached the end of their resources, they don't know what to do. They're in trouble. They're in a mess. They're in pain. This is what little kids say. When my mom gets here, she'll clean up this mess. When my dad gets here, he'll know what to do. <laughs> and when kids say stuff like that, they're they're not doing it with their fingers wistfully crossed. <laughs> when kids say those kind of things, they're sure of it because they know it's true. And I think this is a really important thing for people like us to learn, for you and I to learn or learn again. We need to learn the language, and we need to learn the vocabulary, and we need to learn the posture of hope. Maybe to put it another way, part of growing up as a Christian is becoming like children in this way because none of the other stuff that we ever run to when we're at the end of our resources and we're in pain or we're in a mess or we don't know what to do or we just feel numb, none of the other things that we run to can hold up. We have all kinds of stuff we run to when we're at the end of our resources and things are difficult and painful. Some of us detach into cynicism And we plaster over that pain with all of our cute irony and sarcasm. Others of us become paralyzed by fear and we just stop. We stop doing anything, we stop being anybody. Others of us become hardened by anger. And we lash out at everybody around us and everything around us and we're just so angry all the time. Others of us become callous by despair. I know you don't need me to tell you this because we live this, but let us say it together. These are broken down crutches. They don't do anything. But hope? Hope is the real thing. And hope is also a learned thing. A friend of mine once said that hope is a skill of the heart. We practice hope so that we can get better at hoping. We build up the muscle of hope so that it's there for us to use for a good long time when we really, really need it. We speak the words of hope so that our vocabulary of hope starts to grow so that when we speak of our hope to others and when we begin to live out of that hope towards others, it looks so much better, so much more real, so much more beautiful than any thin, useless cynicism or despair or anger could ever be. And church, we we can start to learn this skill of the heart By being like children and praying like them. God, please get down here and sort this out. (laughs) I know that you can. You know, Jesus taught us this. (laughs) He taught us how to pray in these moments. He he backed it up with a story. You should read it later this afternoon in Luke 18. He backed it up with a story that says you, you should always pray... And not lose heart. I mean, Jesus didn't teach us, hey, when you're backed into a corner, when you're at the end of your resources, when you are just waiting in pain or waiting in numbness or any kind of waiting, He didn't, He didn't say, just hang in there. He said, pray and don't lose heart. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And church, the beauty of a prayer that is born out of this kind of hope is that it isn't based on a fantasy. It is not based on a delusion. There is no pie-in-the-sky stuff here. There is no wistfully crossed-finger stuff here. It is based on experience. You did awesome things that we never looked for. Church, this is what it sounds like when God's people start to remember. Not long ago, not long ago, they were prisoners in a foreign land. And before that, they were a bunch of wanderers with no land to even call home. And before that, they were slaves in Egypt. And before that, they weren't even a people. They were a promise given to an old barren couple. So they know their story, (laughs) They know that story so they remember over and over again God has come to this waiting people with a mighty hand in ways that they could have never dreamed of, that they could have never written the script for, that they could have never expected. And church, this is the fertile soil of their hope, that shared, common, lived experience. And it's the soil of our hope too. God has acted for those who wait for him In unexpected ways. That's who he is. And old barren couples who have sons and parted seas and bread from heaven and water from rocks and walls that topple and armies that get routed by 300 guys with horns. Warrior giants that get felled by shepherd boys. Whole nations, whole nations just being sent home from exile, just go home by the most bloodthirsty nation the world had ever known. That's just, that's a short list. That's a short list of the unexpected ways that God has acted for his waiting people. So they pray with hope to the God who can do things that they never dreamed of. Hope is a skill of their hearts. And so they pray. Jesus told us about this, too. We heard it in the gospel lesson. (laughs) He comes suddenly, so keep awake. But it wasn't wasn't simply the world around them uh, that was in shambles, and, and they knew that, too. Yeah, there was destruction, and the destruction was the result of actions that weren't their own. The effects of the sin of others were all around them, but they know that wasn't the whole story. They had done the hard work, like Pastor Dave talked about, not just looking outside, they had done the hard work of looking inside, and they knew their hearts were in shambles too. So they pray this incredibly honest word, and they pray this incredibly honest question We have been in our sins a long time. And shall we be saved? That question is at the heart of this prayer. Isaiah stands in for God's people and he admits that they aren't the people that God had called them to be. And they hadn't been for a really, really long time. He says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. I don't know. It is difficult for me to imagine a more perceptive way of talking about what sin is and how sin works in this world and what it does to us and everyone around us. Isaiah, Isaiah just doesn't pick out one person here or one person there as an example. He doesn't pick out this little act here or this little act there. He says we have all become unclean. We are all covered with this stain it's a great great reminder to us a bracing reminder to us of how sin works there is an ecology to it there is an ecology to sin that spills out beyond the bounds the bind the bounds of the time and place in which it's committed it's not just a momentary behavioral dysfunction If we've got the guts to admit it, we know they are acts of violence against being human in the way that God made us to be. They ripple out. They affect everyone around us. I think just a moment of reflection, if we can be honest, we will admit that this old prophet knows human beings like the back of his hand. It's like he looks right inside my heart. And he knows to continue to live like this is to have our life and our vibrancy and our humanness slowly drained away. We all fade like a leaf and then our iniquities like the wind drive us away. Wow, that is quite an image for God's people. A pile of old leaves blown around among the rubble and destruction. And church, this is why the daily practice of confession and assurance in Jesus is so vital for us. We've done it here this morning already. We use the words of this prayer for our confession and assurance this morning. And we do that on Sundays not because it's the thing to do on Sundays. We do it because it is the thing to do as a Christian. It is central to our life of faith. Because when we confess, when we remind ourselves that we are forgiven in Jesus, it is a return to the God who forgives, but it is also a return to the people that we were made to be, that he made us to be. It is a return to living in the grain of the world as God made it. And it gives us life and vibrancy. (laughs) So let's practice it every day. So through this prayer, God's people have painted a really full, full picture. It's a picture of people whose hearts are in shambles and they're living in a world that's in shambles. They're living in a world that's not yet as it should be. They've painted a picture of Advent people, of people who wait. And I, I don't want you to miss this. Every single stroke of this painting, every vivid color of this painting has been Hope unmovable hope in the god who loves to move towards his people the god who loves to move towards his people who wait and deliver them in unexpected ways they hope and so they pray now O lord you are our father we are the clay you are the potter we are all the work of your hand Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not our iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. Their prayer has come full circle, back to where it started. They're appealing to this Father that they know can act in ways that are unexpected and undeserved. Church, this is the prayer of a people who are waiting with absolutely nothing in their hands but the truth. We don't have anything but God, we're your children and we need you to sort this out. We're waiting and we cannot do this ourselves. So what will God do? (laughs) How will he answer this hopeful Advent prayer of his waiting people. Well, Isaiah, he can kind of see the outlines of it in a blur. (laughs) But the fullest expression of that answer is too unexpected. It's too strange for even the great old prophet. So instead, (laughs) it comes to a poor, unmarried teenager from a third-rate backwater town in North Country, she's the one who gets to hear it first. Greetings, oh favored one. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary. <laughs> You have found favor with God. Behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and you're going to bear a son and you're going to call his name Jesus. He will be called great. He will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and Mary of his kingdom. There will be no end. So listen, church, that is a hope that is knit in flesh and blood just like me and you, exactly, exactly like me and you. That means it's a hope that people like you and I can hold on to. God's answer to our hopeful waiting Advent prayer is to come and make his home here with us to redeem and forgive and deliver us. In that hope, Jesus is as living and as active and as powerful right now as he was at his first advent. He takes faded leaves and he gives them life back. And the power of His resurrection and the power of His ascension are at work in us. They are at work in us to let us know that our work in remaking and rebuilding the shambles all around us, none of that work, none of it is in vain. The power of His resurrection and the power of His ascension work in us now to let us know without a doubt that our waiting, our waiting, not one second of it, our waiting is not in vain. Here's how uh, the Apostle Paul said it. We heard it in our New Testament lesson. I want to make sure we hear it again. This is what he said to his friends in that church in Corinth. You are not lacking any gift. You are not lacking any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will sustain you to the end. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to believe that this is true (laughs) with every part of who we are. Help us to believe that no one, no one has ever, ever, ever seen a God like you who acts for those who wait for him. Teach us to pray like children, grow the skill of hope in our hearts, and sustain us to the end. Do this, Father, for our good and for the good of this broken world around us, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.